following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. And that, brothers and sisters, is what Easter is all about. It's not about a bunny. It's not about eggs. It's not about an Easter basket. It's all about Jesus Christ. And on today, on Resurrection Day, you have to ask yourself this simple question. Who is Jesus to me? It's not about who Jesus is to anyone else. It's not about who Jesus was. It's all about who is Jesus to me right now in my life. You may be here today for many different reasons. You may be here because you got a little card in the mail. You may be here out of curiosity. You you may be here because someone personally invited you. But you have to ask yourself, not only today, but every day when you start dealing with this, what was the cross all about? What was the empty tomb all about? But you have to go down to that bottom line question, who was Jesus Christ to me. You see, a lot of people believe in God. A lot of people believe in the existence of God. A lot of people even believe in the existence of Jesus Christ. A lot of people say he was a good teacher, a morally good person. But no doubt about it, he was a historical figure that came for one purpose and one purpose only. And as we look at the story of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ today... We're going to look at several significant characters in that storyline because Jesus meant something a little bit different to each one of them. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to join me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The letter of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians were written by a man by the name of the Apostle Paul, who was once known as Saul of Tarsus. He was a persecutor of Christians. God met him on the Damascus Road, and he changed his life forever. He then became one of the greatest missionaries known to mankind. He made three specific missionary journeys, planting churches all across Asia. And he wrote these letters to a church at Corinth. Many people believe it wasn't just two parts, but it was actually three correspondence letters that he sent back and forth to this church. But in this passage that we look at this morning, we see that the Apostle Paul makes a clear statement about who Jesus was to him personally. Let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. He says this, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you stand. By which you are also saved. If you hold fast that word which I have preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Here's who Jesus was to the Apostle Paul. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He repeats that so he's emphasizing it. 
And that he was seen by Cephas, that would be Peter the Apostle, and by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren to the present uh, at, at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due season. Father God, we come before you this day. We, we celebrate, Lord God, your life, your sacrifice, your blood that was shed to be the all-time sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And God, for that, we don't have to keep making these sacrifices over and over and over again. It wasn't enough, Lord, that you came and you did this, but just as the Apostle Paul writes here, you did it according to the Scriptures. As the prophets had predicted for thousands of years that you would come, you would live a, a spotless, sinless life, and you would die for us. And just as they predicted, just as they wrote, you fulfilled every prophecy of theirs. And now we stand on the promise of the empty tomb that you rose up three days later just as you yourself said you would. And now we live with the hope of the promise that you will return just as you said you would. And I pray, Lord God, as we look at who you are and who you were to these specific Biblical characters, we pray, Lord God, that we would answer the question for ourselves, who is Jesus to us? We just ask it all in the most powerful and precious name there is. That's the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. The first person we want to look at is the one who wrote this letter, the Apostle Paul. Who was Jesus to the Apostle Paul? To the Apostle Paul... Jesus became his regeneration. He was renewed. His life was completely transformed on that day on the Damascus Road. In Acts chapter 9, we met Jesus personally. Jesus came to him and said specifically, I want you to become an apostle of mine. I, I want to remove the blinders off of your eyes and I want you to serve me. Acts chapter 9, the man known as Saul of Tarsus, he had a transformational experience. His life was completely regenerated. So I want to ask you that question. Is that who Jesus is to you? Has he completely transformed your life? Has he changed you into a new person? Later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul would write, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And all things have become new. A total regeneration of a person. Have you experienced the life-altering power of the Lord Jesus Christ? Has he given you a new identity? Has he brought you out of darkness and into his glorious light? Has he removed the blinders from your eyes and helped you to see again? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And that's exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. The man who hated Christians. He spent his whole life persecuting Christians. 
He might have even been there on the day that Jesus died on the cross. He might have been there when Jesus went through the mockery of a trial that he went through. He might have even been an eyewitness to the scourging that Jesus endured. We know for sure that he was there on the day that the apostle Stephen was stoned. The Bible says that Saul of Tarsus held the robes of the ones that actually cast the stone. So there was a lot that Paul saw as he was the apostle or the the Saul of Tarsus. But now Jesus met him on his way to persecute Christians. He said, I want you to stop what you're doing. And I want you to know who I am. And so that day on the Damascus Road, he had to ask himself, who is Jesus to me? Who was Jesus to Paul? He was the person that transformed him completely and put his life on a different path. Total transformation. Instead of persecuting Christians, guess what he started doing? He started seeking out the lost and telling them about Christ. Instead of going against Christianity, he then became one of the biggest promoters of Christianity that we know of and set the model for missionaries, even now, to plant churches, to promote the gospel, and to live their lives in such a way that other lives are impacted by it. So I want to ask you this. Has your life been regenerated? Has it been renewed? And when you ask yourself the question, who is Jesus to me? Does his death, burial, and resurrection that we just spoke of, has it created a regeneration in your life to where you're not the same person you used to be? Tell you what, if y'all would have met me in my teenage years, you would have said, what is that dude doing up on the stage preaching today? I have teachers in high school that said, Tracy Smith, I never realized that God would have called you to do what you're doing right now. I've got a lot of teachers in high school that thought I was a deaf mute. (laughs) I didn't speak anything. I didn't say anything. They wanted me to be in speech rallies. I said, "Uh uh-uh, nothing to do with it. Speaking in public scares me to death. But that's only the transformational power of the Lord Jesus Christ that could do something like that. That's just the tip of the iceberg. When I met him as a teenage boy, he washed away all of my sins. And I had to deal with the question, who is Jesus to me? You see, if you say you're a Christian and your life hasn't been completely changed, I have to question you. I have to say, do you really know the Jesus that I know? Because if you do, your life would be different. Your life would not be what it used to be. That's the same way for the Apostle Paul. His life was regenerated completely. There's another character that I want to look at. We see him all throughout. He was one of the first disciples that Jesus called and said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. It's the apostle Peter. You see, Peter made some mistakes along the way. Peter's mouth was always bigger than uh, what he could back up. He had a battleship mouth, but uh, man, he couldn't back it up. And he said a lot of things presumptuously. He was usually the first one to speak out. But Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ the night before Jesus went to the cross. Not just once, not just twice, but three times he denied even knowing Jesus. After spending three whole years with the Lord Jesus Christ, 
You might be here today, you might say, Brother Tracy, I've made some mistakes in my life. I don't know if God can, can forgive me of those. Let me tell you something. If God can forgive me, and if he can forgive the Apostle Peter and do what he did in his life, he can forgive you as well. So to Peter, Jesus became his restoration. See, Jesus even predicted that Peter would deny him three times. The Lord's Supper, before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was arrested by the Roman soldiers, he said, every one of you is going to deny knowing me. And of course, Peter had to speak up. He said, Lord, not me. He said, I'm willing to die for you. And he turned and he looked at Peter. He said, Peter, I guarantee you tonight, before the rooster crows, before the sun comes up, before dawn breaks, you're going to deny me three times. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the Roman soldiers came to apprehend Jesus. Peter said, no, you're not going to do it. And Peter took a sword and took off one of the Roman servant's ears, severed it completely off. Jesus said, uh-uh, put away your sword. That This has to happen, Peter. And Jesus picked up that Roman servant's ear, put it back on, and healed him of that. And he willingly went with them. As Peter followed the crowd, they gathered together around a fire. Jesus on one side, Peter on the other side. The Roman soldier says, look, that guy right there, he's a Galilean. We know he's a Galilean because his speech gives him away, his accent, his dialect. It's like one of you saying, you're from De Quincey, aren't you? (laughs) We can tell by the way that you sound. And Peter said, no, I've never been with him. I don't know the man. I don't know who you're talking about. And he denied him a second time. And then a young lady came to him and said, we we saw you with Jesus in the garden. Peter said, no. And the Bible actually says before Peter could get the words out of his mouth, the rooster crowed. And here's what happens. I, I think here's where the real place where Peter had to answer the question, who is Jesus to me? The Bible says that as soon as the rooster crowed that Jesus lifted his eyes up and he looked across at Peter and their eyes met. And Peter was reminded of the very words that Jesus said. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And the Bible says that Peter ran away and he wept bitterly because he had betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was a broken man because he would not stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what Jesus had to say about that. He said, whosoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. So who is Jesus to you? Has there ever been a time in your life where you denied even knowing who Jesus was? Was there a time when you just remained silent when you should have spoken out? about who Jesus was to you? Has there ever been an opportunity for you to share your testimony about how much you really love Jesus and how much you want to become like Jesus? Let me tell you, friend, if you've ever done that, he wants to forgive you. He wants to restore you. You say, well, Brother Tracy, how do you know that? Because after Jesus died on the cross, After he resurrected from the tomb, several days after that, on the Sea of Tiberias on the lake shore, over a fire once again, 
Jesus told Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And I'm sure in the back of Jesus' mind, he was saying, why did you deny me then? And I'm sure in the back of Peter's mind, he was saying, why did I deny? If I'm saying that I loved him, why didn't I just take that stand and say that I know who he is? But Jesus said, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, you're going to follow me from this day forward. And the second time they met over a campfire and had a discussion, I think Peter really realized then who Jesus was. Jesus was his restoration. Because where Peter thought that he had failed at, Jesus said, no, I'm going to restore you. And I'm going to do something great in your life. And he can do the same thing in your life as well. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, no matter what mistake you think you've made, God says, I will forgive you, I will restore you, and I will use you to do great things for my kingdom. So to Peter, Jesus became his restoration. Who is Jesus to you? Today, I, I want to offer you an invitation. You, you come to Jesus just like you are. You, you come and find out who he really is. You come and experience his restoration power and his forgiveness. Let his mercy and his grace flow into your life. And you start by saying, I know that you are my Lord. You are my Savior. And I want to be a follower of yours no matter what. See, God is the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. However, there's forgiveness at the foot of the cross. And that's what God wants to do with your life as well. Those are two people that God used in a mighty and powerful way. Those are two people that spoke for the Lord Jesus Christ, planted churches, wrote letters in the Bible. We're going to look at a few characters now that Maybe their lives didn't end quite the same. Maybe they didn't have the opportunity to serve the Lord the way that Peter and Paul did. The next person I want to look at is a man by the name of Barabbas. Barabbas was guilty of murder. He was an insurrectionist. And he stood beside the Lord Jesus Christ in the mockery of a trial. To Jesus... Barabbas was literally his get-out-of-jail-free card. We used to love playing Monopoly. Uh, it used to get a little wild and violent at our house when the Monopoly board came out. <laughs> we loved playing it. It was a good time. It was fun. But I tell you what, when all the properties were bought up and we started doing swapping and trading and buying each other's properties, that's when it got a little serious. But there was one card that was always useful in the game of Monopoly. What was that? Get out of jail free. Because if you were ever in jail, you didn't have to pay that $200. You didn't have to pay the bail money. You could skip right on by and keep on going. Jesus was the original get out of jail free card for Barabbas. Because Barabbas was guilty. He had already been found guilty. He was on death row. He was awaiting his execution. Can you imagine what that must have been like for Barabbas? Knowing that you have done everything that you were accused of. Knowing that you were guilty. 
and knowing that you were about to get exactly what you deserved. That's justice. That's justice. Getting exactly what you deserve is called justice. And the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. If we were to get what we got coming to us, that would be the justice for our sins. We're all going to die a physical death. There's no doubt about it. Death is here because of the original sin. When the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, it's talking about a spiritual death, a separation from God in a place called hell for all of eternity. That's what your sin has earned you. And that's what Barabbas had earned as well. He had earned a death sentence. But on that day, they were given two options. It was customary. They don't know if it was customary for the Jews or the Romans to do this. But a man by the name of Pontius Pilate brought out Barabbas and Jesus. And a lot of historians seem to think that Barabbas' full name was Jesus Barabbas which would have been a a wise selection for Pontius Pilate to choose him because it would have confused the crowd even more to select Barabbas to release. The custom was to release one prisoner on that day. And so Pontius Pilate, to ease his guilt, to get him off scot-free, they brought out Jesus Christ and Barabbas. And Pilate said, who do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. And he said, well, what about this man here? He, he's done nothing wrong. And the crowd yelled, crucify him. So the very crowd that a week earlier held Jesus as the Messiah coming into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Hosanna to the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That very same one, they are now saying, crucify him and let his blood be upon us. And Barabbas got off scot-free. So the guilty got to walk away completely free of all charges that were accused against him. Whereas the innocent became his replacement. So for the apostle Paul, Jesus was his regeneration. For the apostle Peter, Jesus was his restoration. But for Barabbas, Jesus was his replacement. And I'm afraid there are a lot of Christians these days that only want to use Jesus as a get-out-of-jail-free card, and that's it. They've made him their Savior, but they haven't made him their Lord. They're willing to accept his forgiveness, but they don't want to follow him with the rest of their lives. And that's exactly what happened to Barabbas. We don't know what happened to Barabbas after that. We don't know what kind of life he lived after that. We don't know if he became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ or just completely walked away and continued doing what he had done before. But all we know is is on that day, Jesus was his replacement. And Jesus took the death sentence for someone who was completely guilty. So who is Jesus to you? Do you consider him your replacement? Do you know for sure that he has stood in the place of your guilt and your sin and your shame? And now are you willing to walk away and forget about that? Or are you willing to follow him with the rest of your life? That's a a question you have to ask when you consider who is Jesus to me? 
Do I know for sure that he has forgiven me of my sin, that he has stood in my place, that he shed his blood for me, and that he died on the cross for me? And now what am I going to do with that? The next person I want to look at is a Roman centurion. Matthew chapter 27, verse 54, if you want to look at that real quick. I know I'm throwing a lot of facts out at you. I'm not referring to a lot of scripture, but both Matthew, Mark, and Luke record about a Roman centurion that stood at the foot of the cross. What all did this Roman centurion see? We don't know how far he had been following Jesus. We don't know if he had seen Jesus perform miracles or not. We don't know how much of uh, Jesus' ministry this man got to experience. So the Romans were uh, known for their many, many gods. The Romans had a pantheon of gods. But none of these gods were personal. None of these gods were interactive with their worshipers. None of their gods were like Jehovah God. None of these gods that the Romans worshipped They could provide any evidence of their existence. They were only statues. They were cold, lifeless figures. And that's the only thing that this Roman centurion had known up until Jesus Christ came along. But perhaps he got to see Jesus interact with other human beings. Perhaps he was there that night in the Garden of Gethsemane when he saw Jesus lovingly pick up the ear that was severed off of the servant. And heal the one who is an opposite enemy of his. Perhaps he was there when he saw the brutal beating that Jesus took. Perhaps he was there and saw the mockery of a trial and knew it was a complete setup. Perhaps he knew, hey, you, you, you got the wrong guy. This guy is innocent. The other guy is guilty. We don't know what all that Roman centurion saw. However, what was it that the centurion saw? Had he been around very long to see all of those miracles of Jesus? Matthew chapter 27, verse 54. This is the account that we have of this Roman centurion. It says, so when the centurion and those around him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened. This is what happened when Jesus cried his last and died on the cross. They feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. I don't know what else that Roman centurion saw in the life of Jesus, but as Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, and then he breathed his last, and he died. And the Bible says that at the moment that he died, he hung his head in death, that the sky grew black, the earth shook, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top, because if it was from bottom to top, man would have done it. From top to bottom signifies that God tore the only barrier between him and mankind, and that the throne of God was easily accessible by all the The Roman centurion saw all of that. And when he saw all of this evidence, he said, you know what? All of these other gods that I've worshipped throughout my life, all of these other gods that I know about, I've never seen anything like this before. But he said, this man here, truly he was 
the Son of God. He had all the evidence that he needed. And so as he walked around following Jesus, asking himself this question, who is Jesus to me? Who is this man that willingly took a brutal scourging, that carried his own cross, that died on the cross, that took nails in his hands and his feet? I now know who he is. He truly was the Son of God. How about you? Who is Jesus to you? Have you come to the realization that he is the sinless, spotless Lamb of God? Have you been to the cross? Or do you, have you seen all of the evidence for yourself that Jesus was who he said he was and that he truly was the Son of God? You see, point number four to the Roman centurion, Jesus became a revelation. It was revealed to him on that day when Jesus drew his last breath, this truly was the Son of God. The last person I want us to look at, Luke chapter 23, verse 43. As Jesus hung on the cross, he was not alone. The Old Testament records that he would be numbered with the transgressors. Means that on the day that he died, he would die with other thieves. And Jesus, when he died, he was on a cross, but he was in between two other men that were completely guilty. They were crucified as well. Nails through their hands and feet. Jesus in the middle, a criminal on both sides of him. They began having this conversation on one side. He said, look, you know, if you really are who you say you are, why don't you just come down from this cross and save us along with yourself? He began mocking him, began making fun of him. But there was a thief on the other side of him. In Luke chapter 23, verse 43, they began having this conversation. The other, beginning in verse 40, it says, the other answered, rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? In other words, we're getting exactly what we had coming to us. Why are you saying those things? Why are you making fun of Jesus? Because you're guilty and he's not. He said, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. For we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, probably some of the greatest words of faith that are recorded in the Bible. Because this thief had no other hope than the man that was sitting next to him on the cross. This thief could not come down. His hands and his feet were nailed. There was no way that he could go to church. There was no way that he could be baptized. There was no way that he could do any good deeds. There was no way he could earn his own salvation. All he could do was by faith cry out to Jesus. And here's the words that he said. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You notice that first four-letter word that he started off with, Lord, L-O-R-D. Either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. 
A lot of people want him as that get out of jail free card. A lot of people want him as their replacement, but not many people want to call him Lord. Because to call him Lord means that you have to bow down and submit to him 100%, fully and completely, and yield your life to him. Somehow or another, this thief that was hanging on the cross, with no way of doing anything else for the rest of his life, he said, Lord, who is Jesus to you? Is he your Lord and Savior? Do you just call him Savior and leave the Lord part off of it? Or do you bow down to him each and every day and say, you are my Lord, I submit to you. Where you want me to go, that's where I'm going to go. What you want me to do, that's what I want to do. He says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. One thief rejected him. Mocked him and made fun of him. The other thief called him Lord. And Jesus said today, this very day, you're going to be with me in paradise. By faith, he called out to him. He said, you know, I I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know why you're going to do it. I, I, I don't even know who you are. I've never met you before. Why would you save someone like, how could you save someone like me? Is that a place that you've come to in your life? Who is Jesus to you? You see, this thief had been completely redeemed from all of his sins by one simple phrase, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Lord, I submit to you. I don't know. I don't understand it all completely. But as best as I know how, by faith, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Who is Jesus to you? Has he revealed to you his true identity? Today, he said, because of your faith, today you will Be with me in paradise. So to this thief, Jesus became his redemption. You could also say to this thief, Jesus became his reconciliation. Because at one time, this man, this thief on the cross, was separated completely by God for his sins. But because of his faith in Jesus Christ and because of Jesus' acceptance of him, he became reconciled. To God. And it was just as if he'd never sinned before. He had been completely redeemed. Who is Jesus to you? Have you been redeemed? Have your sins been totally forgiven? Have you stepped out by faith? And have you confessed him as your Lord and Savior? And that thief did exactly what the Apostle Paul would later write in the book of Romans chapter 10. He says, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not a matter of somebody else confessing for you. 
But you have to confess it for yourself. You have to answer the question, who is Jesus to me? Not about who was Jesus to my mom and daddy or my mama and my papa or anyone else. My relationship does not rely on someone else's relationship with Jesus. My relationship depends on who I consider Jesus to be in my life. To one thief, Jesus was not real. He wasn't who he said he was. But to one thief, he said, I want you as my Lord. And I want you to forgive me of my sins. And I want to be with you in paradise today. Jesus was looking at that man's heart. He saw his motives were pure. He saw that he was desperate for a Savior. And I think a lot of times we take that for granted. I think a lot of times we look at that cross and say, man, that's, that's beautiful. That's pretty. We, we put a gold cross around our neck. We say, what a, what a precious ornament that is. But we forget about the price that was paid the day Jesus died on that cross. We talked the other day about Old Testament sacrifices, how the animals were slaughtered, how they were slain, how they were brought as an appeasance to uh, forget, for to have forgiveness of sins. We talked about how much blood must have been stacked up against that altar where those sacrifices were made. What about the blood that Jesus shed? What about the place where he took the brutal scourging? How much blood was there? One account, I think it's in the Gospel of John, a Roman soldier pierced his side when he thought he was dead and he said there was nothing but water that came out. All the blood had been completely drained from his body and there was nothing left. His blood was literally poured out on Calvary for our sins. But the place where Jesus took that brutal scourging at, there was blood from other people as well. But when he took that scourging, he was becoming that one-time sacrifice, shedding his blood, willingly shedding his blood for our sins. He wanted to redeem us once and for all and become the sinless, spotless Lamb of God for our sins. And it all happened just like Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, according to the Scriptures. One Old Testament prophet said that he would beat him beyond recognition. The book of Jonah, where Jonah went in the belly of a whale for three days and then was spit upon the shore. Jesus referred back to that. He said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. There's so many Old Testament, I think there's well over 300 accurate Definitive Old Testament predictions about the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But above all of that, Jesus himself predicted, I've got to become the sacrifice for all of mankind. But I'm not going to stay there. After three days, I'm going to rise again. And now today, we celebrate the risen Savior He wants to regenerate your life. He wants to restore your life. He wants to be your replacement. 
He wants to be your redeemer, your reconciliation, whatever word you want to use. You say, well, Brother Tracy, who is Jesus to you? <laughs> That's an easy one. He's my everything. He's my life. He's my Lord, my Savior. He's my very best friend. He's there to catch me when I fall. He's there to carry me through the worst times of my life. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the bright and morning star. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I'll tell you what, my friend, the tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled away. He didn't have to roll the stone away for him to get out. He had to roll the stone away for us to look in. And see that just as he predicted, that's exactly what happened. How would you like to have been there on that first morning when the ladies came to anoint his body? And looking inside, they saw absolutely nothing but grave clothes. His body wasn't there because he had risen just as he said. He fulfilled his promise. Now there's only one promise that remains is the day that he parts the eastern sky. The trumpet of the Lord shall sound. And we'll rise to meet him in there. Those who have been regenerated, those who have been born again, those who truly are children of God will rise to meet him in the air to live with him forevermore. How do I know that? Because John chapter 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you to where I am. That where I am, you can be with me forevermore. But only those who have accepted him as their Lord and Savior. Just like that thief on the cross, he said, Lord, remember me when you go into your paradise. The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not a matter of how many good works you have done in your life. It's not about how much tithes and offerings you brought. It's not about whether or not you've been baptized. All of those are things that Christians should do, but that's not what makes you a Christian. Only the blood of Christ is what makes you a Christian. And answering the question, who is Jesus to me? He's my risen Savior. He lives forevermore. You, you ask me how I know he lives? Because he lives right here in my heart. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. The apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives within me. In the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave his life for me. That's who Jesus is to me. Every head bowed and every eye closed today. On this Easter morning, if you had to answer the question, and you do have to answer this question, there's no doubt about it. At some point in time, you've got to answer this question. Who is Jesus to me? 
Number one, have I made a public profession of knowing him as my Lord and Savior? Has there ever been a time in my life where just like the thief on the cross, I've cried out to him in my desperation and said, Lord, will you forgive me of my sins? Can you think of a time that you've done that? Who is Jesus to you? Number two, if you have reached that point in your life, are you following him the way that you should? Is Jesus your Lord? Are you following him daily? Are you trying to become more and more like him every single day? You see, if you want to know what a Christian is, you take the first six letters of that word, C-H-R-I-S-T. A Christian is someone who wants to become like Christ. You say, Brother Tracy, I, there is absolutely no way that I can become just like Jesus. You know what? You're absolutely right. God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. The whole process of sanctification is a lifelong process. You see, it only takes a moment of faith to become a Christian, but it's an entire lifelong process to become like Christ. And in the private of this moment, you have nothing to be afraid of. Your decision, whatever it is, nobody's going to know about it. The cameras are off. This isn't televised. This is invitation time where absolute privacy is of utmost importance. In this final moment, would you make a decision one way or the other to answer that question? I want to know who Jesus is and I want him in my life. And this morning, during this invitation time, Easter 2023 at First Baptist Church in Morgan City, I stepped out in faith and asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. And I now want to make it publicly known that I'm a follower of his. I'm not afraid of anything. Jesus died Publicly for our sins, there's no reason for us to not confess him publicly. I would never do anything to embarrass you. I I don't want to make a spectacle or an example of you. But Jesus called all of his disciples out publicly, and that's what he's doing today. He's asking you to make a public decision. So if that's you today, and you want to make a decision to become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, as soon as the music begins... I want you to pray a prayer just like this. Say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I know I've done wrong. I know my life is not where it needs to be. But right now, in the best I know how, I confess you as my Lord and my Savior, and I ask you to make me a new person. And I'll commit my life to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.